Hello and welcome to the Water Tower. A few minutes of extra encouragement for your week from the scriptures. I'm your host, Lee Younger from Christ Community Church here in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Today's episode will be the first in a series in which we look at the lives of certain folks from the Old Testament scriptures. Why are these stories included? What do we have to learn about ourselves and what can they show us about Jesus? All right, enjoy episode 71, Who's Who, Beginnings and Endings. Who, Chapter 1 Adam and Eve Genesis 3 6 When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. God made everything. Dolphins and daffodils, wool and watermelons, quails and quasars. He thought it all up, and he liked his ideas. God was the original abstract artist. Everyone else who has ever painted a sunset or sculpted a face was copying the stuff that was thought up out of nothing and then crafted by hand from the original mind. And after God made photons and feathers, muscles, music, grass and gravity, He made people. He started by making a dude. We call him Adam, but God, in the Hebrew language, called him Ish. God made Ish by hand from the dirt. As in, God got his hands dirty. God has the power to simply snap his fingers and make stuff, the same way he spoke the universe into being, but when it came to making his kids, God got personal. He got dirt in his fingernails and sculpted this man with his own hands. The same way he made you and me. Because to him, it is personal. He loves us that much. And after making this dude, Ish, he made a woman. We call her Eve, but Ish called her Ish-ah. In other words, She's like Ish, only more so. When God made his kids, he made one really interesting choice concerning them. That is, he made them with needs. God could have made them to be perfect, needless. He could have made them self-sustaining, but he didn't. He gave them needs, and he also met those needs. It's as if God were trying to teach them something fundamental about the relationship he wanted with them and us. He gave them hunger and he provided food. He gave them thirst and he provided water. He gave them loneliness and he provided not only himself, but also he gave them each other. He gave them needs for intimacy and shared pleasure and he invented sex for them to enjoy. (laughs) Wow. God-given needs 
met by God's provision in total peace and perfect timing. It was a stunning relationship. Then a snake showed up and ruined the whole thing. This wasn't just any old snake either. God had an enemy who was called the accuser. The translation of that word is Satan. He took the form of a serpent and asked Adam and Eve a question that changed everything. You see, God made a garden for this couple. The garden had incredible food and cool, fresh water and everything else they needed. God himself used to hang out with them every day right there in the garden. They had it made. God only had one restriction. There was a tree in the middle of the garden he didn't want these kids to eat fruit from. Why? We don't know. That's God's business. But the snake said, why can't you eat that fruit? In other words, why is God holding out on you? Why doesn't God want you to have nice things? Why doesn't God love you? As soon as the snake started talking, Adam should have told it to shut up and stomped on its head. But he kind of chickened out. He dropped the ball. He left Eve hanging out to dry to do battle with the snake by herself. Their teamwork was broken and she was alone. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Sin entered the world through one man. And that was it, right there. Adam blew it. That was the moment that broke the whole world. He failed to step up to the plate and everything changed. The snake's question went right down into the center of their hearts and for the first time in their lives, they started to wonder if God really loved them. They started to think that maybe God didn't know what he was doing. They looked at the fruit, they wanted it. She took some, she ate it. She gave some to him, he ate it too. The world broke. We call it sin, which means simply this. They met a God-given need without God. He gave them a need for love, for knowledge, for hunger, and they met all of those needs in a way, at a time, or to a degree that was outside of God's perfect plan for them. That was the first sin. Why is that story important? Why is it in the Bible for us to read? Well, because in a way, that's really every sin, every time. God gave us needs and he wants to meet them for us in his way, in his time. He knows that any other way will break our world, splinter our relationships, and hurt us. God loves us. And that's why he's so upset about sin. Sin hurts the people God loves. But God didn't leave them there in their brokenness. After they ate, they hid. The result of the first sin was shame. They were afraid of God for the first time ever, but God showed up anyway in the midst of their shame and hiding, and he promised to do something about it. 
He promised to do something for them. God called out to the snake and threatened him in what became the first prophecy of Christmas, that a descendant of Eve's would crush the head of the snake. In other words, for all of us who have ever met a God-given need in a way that made us isolated, ashamed, and afraid, a hero is coming, the promised savior to rescue us from wrong, Jesus. Chapter 2, Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, 4 and 5. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Adam and Eve had kids. Of course they did. It seems obvious to us, but imagine it for them. It was entirely foreign. This had never happened before. Eve got pregnant and then gave birth to a little boy, and in her excitement and shock, she credited the whole miraculous thing to God, which makes perfect sense if you've ever been around for a birth. At this point in human history, the whole enterprise has become somewhat routine, but trust me, when you watch a birth happen, it's about the most wondrous thing you can possibly imagine happening. A brand new living person arrives in the world, breathing, crying, looking around, shivering and sleeping, waking and eating and sleeping again. Up until that moment, you knew there was a baby in there, but it was all mystery and anticipation. And then, all of a sudden, there he is tiny hands with tiny fingernails and the smallest possible mouth stretched wide in the cutest yawn you've ever seen. New life, undeniably alive and yet totally dependent in helplessness. Eve said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Well said. Giving birth is crazy and amazing. It's painful and unforgettable. A trial of fire and an all-out miracle. If you make it to the other side of something like that, it only makes sense to praise the Lord. It's like surviving what was sure to be a terrible car crash. When you look around and realize you're okay, praying comes naturally. Life, miracle gratitude, worship. This is the most obvious progression of human response to all that God has done. Something amazing happens, so you go to God and praise Him for it. But how do we get to go to God in the first place? What is our ticket into His presence? What is the basis of our relationship with him? Well, the answer to that question is the reason we have the story of Eve's kids. Eve named that first boy Cain, 
and then later had another little boy and named him Abel. They didn't have baby name books, so they were clearly just winging it with these names. Cain was a farmer who specialized in cultivating crops, while Abel was a herdsman who raised livestock. At a certain point, both of these guys decided to bring an offering to God. It was their way of worship. In making a sacrificial offering to God, they were demonstrating what they thought of who they were to God and what it meant to know Him and approach Him. Cain brought produce, that is, beautiful selections from the stuff he planted and grew in his garden by his own sweat and toil. I'm picturing a gorgeous spread of vine-ripe tomatoes, huge cucumbers, impossibly heavy pumpkins, crisp watermelons, gigantic squash, and bright, shiny peppers. You know it was colorful and vibrant, the very best of agricultural life and growth. Meanwhile, Abel took a different route. He took one of his animals and killed it. He slaughtered it and took fat portions and burned it on an altar before the Lord, basically a grease fire rising to heaven. And the funny thing? God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Which seems backward, right? I mean, personally. I would want the fruits and veggies over the grease fire, but God saw it differently. In a way, Cain was saying to God, look at my impressive offering. You have a lot to gain by being in a relationship with me. Aren't I impressive? And the answer is, um, no, dude. God isn't all that impressed. Whereas Abel was saying, I cannot approach you, Lord. I don't deserve to. If we're going to have a relationship, an innocent life will have to take my place. And that right there is the key. Cain's offering of all he had produced exposes the kind of heart that wants recognition for what he brings. That kind of heart is competitive, jealous, insecure, and critical. In fact, Cain became so angry in the aftermath that he actually killed his own brother with his bare hands. And if we feel some of Cain's heart beating in our chest, we may have forgotten why it is we get to know God in the first place. Abel's offering shows us a humble heart of gratitude that knows he needs mercy and forgiveness. It was an offering that looked forward through time all the way to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
Been strung out on this road for far too long Dead away, you paid my cost. 
Cut my chains, unbound my hands and feet I am free You love me, you're my father You're my bread and living water I am free You love me, you're my father, you're my bread and living water, I am free. You love us, you're our father, we are sons and we are daughters, we are free. Today's score featured Endless Love by Vesky and Quirk by Vowel, used by permission with musicbed.com. Our final song today was I Am New by Southern Harmonic. Our intro and outro music was by the one and only Jed Brewer of Good Loud Media, and you are hearing this because of our friend Ian Gothert, who's like coming home from a long day at work only to smell the one-of-a-kind aroma of your favorite meal being cooked just for you. Thanks for listening, and may the living water fill you up.